Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Craig Melby. Craig, welcome back to the show. Hey, I am really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you back. You're one of uh, just one or two people who we've had on more than once, so that uh, should tell our listeners something. Uh, the first episode that you and I recorded, Craig, was back in episode 43 of The How of Business. A great episode, lots of takeaways. You and I have stayed in touch and have done business together since. But uh, for our listeners who didn't listen to that episode, let me give you a background on Craig. Craig is an entrepreneur, an author, a podcaster, and a commercial real estate expert. Uh, he's been negotiating commercial real estate leases and purchases since 1980. He founded Lease Smart after hearing from uh, too many of his clients who contacted him after they had negotiated their deal terms and then asked him to look over the lease before signing it. And of course, always he found that things could have been done much better, many times important things. So finally, after experiencing the, the same need again and again, he formed Lease Smart to assist those small business people in need. Uh, Craig holds real estate licenses in Florida, North Carolina, and South Carolina. And then he's got a network of people that he works with all around the country. He's a certified commercial investment member and a former member of the Society of Office and Industrial Realtors. Uh, and so again, his, his chief specialties are in site selections, lease negotiations, and facility acquisitions. He's the host of his own podcast, the Lease Smart Commercial Real Estate Podcast, which I listen to often, and the author of the book, Site Right, Practical Ways to Boost Profits with the Right Site and Best Terms. We'll be chatting about that whole concept of the right site here in a moment. So as I mentioned, uh, Craig was our guest back in episode 43. In this episode, we're going to do a, a deep dive on a lease situation that I had with a failed business location. He's going to help me dissect that and talk about some things we might have done better, some things we would do differently now if we were doing it over. And uh, that probably will take up the whole show, but if it doesn't, we'll chat about a couple of other open items. And again, the previous episode was episode 43, where Craig shares with us his entrepreneurial journey. In this episode, we're going to get right to it. So once again, Craig Melby, welcome to the show. Yep. I am excited to give all kinds of great advice to your listeners about the mistakes you made. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what as I, entrepreneurs, we have these failures and then we bury them, right? But we're going to dig some of that back up. Well, yeah. And when I when I listen to your show, and we'll see you in a minute, um, and you're talking about the mistakes you made, I'm going, oh, oh, I, I, I have comments on that. I have comments on that. You know, oh, this is all so typical. So I think your listeners are going to love hearing um, 
uh, some more about the details of this thing. Absolutely. And I think that, again, I, I say that half jokingly, but, but not, we, we of course want to put our mistakes behind us. We have to, right. we have to move on to the next thing, but often as entrepreneurs, we hear about other people and we listen or read about the success stories as if those folks never had right. failures. That hasn't been my case. So I've had fortunately more successes than failures, but this particular example that we're going to talk about is uh, we opened a business called iTopIt, which is a serve, serve, self-serve frozen desserts business. We opened two locations back in 2011 in Colorado Springs, Colorado. At the time, this whole self-serve frozen yogurt thing was emerging, was a big trend. Here in the Dallas market where I live, it had already exploded. I got brought to it by my daughter who told me, hey, we need to go check this out. And so in Colorado Springs, there were none. There were zero locations at the time. And my partner and co-host, David Begin, who lives in Colorado Springs, we decided that's a perfect market. So, and of course, typically we didn't decide to open one. We decided to open two. Sure. Uh, And the second location is the one that we had problems with. And so at the end of the five-year lease that we had there, we had to make the hard decision of shutting it down. There just wasn't enough business. Now, we were making money, but it wasn't enough to justify continuing operations. And then, of course, there was a loss because once you shut something down, you're getting pennies on the dollar on equipment and all of this other stuff you have invested in it. Now, our first location is doing great, but this location, we had to shut down. So that's the context and the background. We signed a five-year lease there that, that we completed, and then we, sh- we shut down when the lease was over. And we negotiated a five-year extension up front. So that's kind of the the context of the situation we had there at that location, Craig. Right. So that's the background. Correct. You want me to give you some of my thoughts? Um, Yeah. So so kind of let's walk through it. So we figured out pretty early that that sales there weren't what we thought they were going to be. And there were a couple of things. So maybe, maybe I'll start with this. One of the things that in hindsight now seems very obvious that we did not see is that this particular location, we're talking about 1,500 square feet in a strip shopping center, pretty pretty big one, long, you know, one strip. At either end, uh, entries to this location, so no access from right off directly off of the street. This is one of the challenges in Colorado Spring that because of terrain, that sits up kind of on a little hill. So you have to either have turned on one street or the other at the south or the north end of the strip shopping center. And then at one end was a Coles, which is the big anchor. Right. And at the other end, some other stuff and a lot of stuff in between and a lot of out parcels, you know, like a Burger King right. and other restaurants. Right. So what became obvious afterwards is that people were driving by us and not seeing right. us. Happens they all were mostly the time. making sure they didn't run over somebody and or they were coming in and out of the end that they came out of and never even made it across our storefront. Right. Well, that's absolutely right. And and I see it all the time. And so all your listeners need. So it sounded like you had a great um, spot with wonderful anchor tenants, which means you also must have wonderful demographics, probably wonderful traffic count. And uh, I'm guessing you had uh, the center had good ingress and egress. So all that's good. 
but uh, what happened to you, and it happens all the time, there are dead spots in shopping centers, and you were in one. And uh, so you do have to uh, be much more careful about your spot, as you've already said, and that would be visibility and and access. Sometimes you're in a spot where you're, um, you're, a lot of tenants are fighting over a certain amount of parking, like you're, if you're in the elbow of a center, then both sides of that center are fighting over the parking. But I suspect what you had was what you've already described, just not the visibility you had. And and I've seen other tenants go into centers where if the signage isn't right, or say you even have a sign out on the road, but if the traffic's going too fast, they're they're watching their car keeping on the road. They don't see that little sign on the monument. Or there could be trees in the uh, landscaping that block the sign or this or that. But So you do have to be very careful about the pedestrian flow and the traffic flow and be aware there are dead spots in the center that you don't want to be in. Yeah, all those are great points and all of those are true. So to further describe it, this where we were, this, this shopping center itself was pretty far set back from the roadway, which is really essentially almost a highway. Right. So to your point, right. very high speed travel, no monument sign for us, right? There were some monument signs, but we didn't have any right. signage on that. Essentially zero visibility from the road. Right. Number one, because of the distance, number two, because of the elevation, number three, because of the speed. And that point on speed, Craig, I think it's a big one. We we have car wash locations as well. You help people with these types of businesses every day. I think that's something, let's talk about that for a moment, because I think that's something that people don't think about. Traffic count is one thing, but if that traffic is moving rapidly, it, it doesn't help you sometimes. No, not at all. And I've, I've seen plenty of cases where that you, you pedestrian traffic is the very best because people aren't buying your product while they're driving or while the car is moving. So the pedestrian, we're out of the car, we're walking around, oh, we pop in and see it. That's the very best. And then beyond that is uh, the visibility. So you become a destination and they go, hey, let's go down and get some yogurt. You know, they remember you're there because we all got busy lives. And unless you're top of mind awareness, you may as well not be there. So you do have to be very careful of that. And that does sound like one of the mistakes you uh, did make. In fact, it it's almost like you were doomed from the start. You didn't know it, but you were doomed from the start because I remember you on your podcast saying, gee, we did everything right. You know, it was a good operation. People loved us. And I know your demographics were good the way you've described your anchors. So um, it was it was the spot. And, you know, it's unfortunate. And I doubt you'll ever make that mistake again. And so, you know, you'll learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into the the lease clauses that I might have had that would have helped me. But I want right. to talk a little bit further about your point on the pedestrian traffic. So we assumed that, hey, I've got a Coles at the one end. I've got an Albertson shopping center at the other. And that was the other anchor right. that I couldn't remember there for right. a moment and a bunch of stuff in between. I thought, oh, the, the pedestrian traffic in this shopping center is going to be great. Well, it didn't end up no. being that way in part because it was such a big shopping right. center. People were parking in front of the store they were going right. to and then getting right back in their car. They're not, they weren't necessarily walking in front of my place. Absolutely. Yep. So, so in that situation, listen, what, what do you look for to tell you? You've given us some clues, the elbow, the things we've just described. What else do we look for and you help your clients look for 
to help minimize the chance that I pick a, a dead. Well, location. and it's not really rocket science. You just weren't uh, didn't have your eyes open to that risk, um, and it's not unusual either. Uh, but really, you, you just you just need to go there and spend some time and be aware of this potential problem and just watch, you know, just sit in your car. If it's a cold day, you know, and look through the windshield, how many people are walking by? What, what is the, what is the traffic pattern uh, in here, both pedestrian and people parking? And it, it's uh, not hard to see that, Hey, wait a minute, you know, not many people are going through here. How busy are these other stores that are here? You might stop in and talk to the stores and say, Hey, how are things? Uh, was this second generation space? I assume was there a tenant before you? Oh yeah, yeah. This is a this is a building. Probably has been twenty right. years or so. So, so yes. how did they? You know, you always wonder how did they do? Why did they go out? You know, did they expand or did they or did they shrink? You know, and and so it's really just being aware that the mere fact of good demographics and good anchor tenants, and that's all you need to know. No, no, no. You you need that. Um, that one more data point as far as your specific site, uh, are people going in front of it or not? And the other thing is, Craig, as I mentioned in that episode, is we, we had a broker right. and it's a broker that we know and we won't name them because it's not that they didn't uh, give us bad service. They knew the area, they helped us, right. but they didn't help us think about any of these points. Well, right. You know, um, and, and I've, and that's where that's where somebody like you, people think, well, why do I need Craig? Well, it's these kind of pointers that, and there's there's more to it, right? There's, well, right, right. But but it's this this third party perspective that's not motivated by a commission and getting somebody into a space sooner than later, and it's a tricky thing. Listen, I've I've been a, a realtor as well. You're you're trying to balance both sides, but at the end of the day. You're trying to get somebody into a space as soon well, as Well, let me ask you this. Sometimes. Was the broker, uh, the landlord broker representing the shopping center or were they a tenant rep broker uh, representing Oh, you? no. Yeah, we hired we hired our own okay, broker. So, that so, no, yeah, so that, that's a good okay. point. Let's let's highlight that because for people who are listening, it may not know what that what that means. If I call the the sign at the shopping center that that landlord, that shopping center is going to have their own broker and that broker represents the landlord, not me. Um, so I've done enough leases over my life to have known that. Plus, as I just mentioned, I was a realtor. So yeah, we hired our own broker to represent us. Uh, right. And did you have to pay that broker anything? No, no. That's right. That broker shared in the fee that the landlord's uh, a broker is receiving. So they were free to you and they don't care where you go. They should be able to look at the entire market and pick for you the best spot not not that spot you know because because <laughs> they're representing it so it is unfortunate that they probably did their job uh, technically just fine and 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 you did all that fine but you just didn't pick up on the fact that this particular spot wasn't that good now i don't know if they do a lot of retail site selection or not um or have experience in that area um you know so that part was too bad and I, I don't know what the situation was. Yeah, yeah. All right. So now with that context in mind, what are some of the things we should have perhaps negotiated into the lease? 
Absolutely. And this is where I really dig in deep. When I was listening to your podcast, and we'll probably go from order of what you said on the podcast, you know, and to what you said, beginning, middle and end. The first thing that made me sit up and take notice was you said, you know, this by the second year, things were looking a little bit iffy. But, you know, you had to you know, you have a five-year lease, can't do anything about that. And I'm thinking to myself, no, 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 wait, wait, you can. There's no reason in the world not to contact the landlord as early as you think you have a problem and say, hey, um, we're not doing as good here as I thought we would. Um, I'm just letting you know that landlord in case, you know, I like, for instance, maybe they have a, another tenant that won't, would take that space or expand into it. Maybe they'd let you out of the lease early. If you tell them that you're probably not going to be here when the lease expires, you know, they may just, you know, keep it in mind for something else and let you out early, or they might even give you some relief of some sort on the, um, the uh, rental rate or other terms or help you promote your space or signage or, you know, who knows, but, you know, it should be a partnership between you and the um, landlord and they want you to do well. So there's no reason to hide the fact from them that you're not doing as good as you thought you would and um, let them know that. Now, as part of this, let me jump in here real quick too and say, uh, the lease, did you personally guarantee the lease or or how is that set up from the tenant end? Yeah, absolutely. Both my partner and I personally guaranteed that lease. Okay. Well, um, did, was the space, did the landlord have to put much money into this space uh, to get you? They in gave there? us some allowance. So they gave us some, some okay. TI, some allowance for the finish out. And then we also negotiated right, some free months of rent. Right. Okay. So that that's all good. And and your listeners need to know those are two elements that get negotiated all the time, some free rent and some tenant improvement dollars. And so what I would say to you is every landlord wants you to personally guarantee the lease. And by the way, was the lease in the name of some single purpose uh, entity like an LLC? So it's that one unit uh, was the official entity on Correct. the lease? Yes. Okay, so that part was really good. So you could fold that unit and not affect your Correct. other unit. And what I would have said is, uh, first of all, we don't want to sign the lease personally. And many times you don't have to. The landlord always wants it, but we always refuse to. And then if we do have to, we limit it in some way. We would say, all right, we'll sign it. We'll guarantee the lease personally. But you know what? Our lease expires after two years or three years in a five-year lease, or there's a certain dollar amount or something like that. And so the reason this becomes very important is if you had signed the personal uh, lease personally, but it expired after two years, then you have massive more leverage when you go back to the landlord to say, hey, you know, no, no fault of ours or anyone else. We're doing the best we know how, but this location isn't working well for us. In fact, at that point, you might point the finger at the landlord a little bit and say, we didn't realize this was such a dead spot in your shopping center and we're hurting here. And, uh, you know, our, our, <laughs> our personal guarantee just expired. We may have to shut this, this business down. And if it's a single purpose entity, you know, you have no liability except what you've already put into this space. And the landlord knows that. Now you have a lot of leverage to negotiate something new with the landlord. But of course, if you've guaranteed the lease personally, 
landlord's attitude might be, well, too bad for you. You know, we're going to sue you for the balance of what you owe us. Um, and so that that changes everything, whether or not you're you remained on the uh, personal guarantee. So on the topic of the personal guarantee, how often do you see, give me percentage wise, that that your clients are able to successfully either not have to guarantee or a, a much more reduced or a guarantee with some parameters on it. How often does, do you accomplish that generally speaking? The vast majority of the time. Interesting. I mean, it's something that we, even myself, after having done, I don't know, by the time I signed that lease, I'd probably signed a dozen right. leases in my life. Um, I think you just come to believe that that's just the requirement. That's the, um, that's this is part of it. Right. Exactly. And, and that's why your your listeners need to know that that's not the case, especially if you haven't the landlord didn't have to put a lot of money exactly. into getting you in there. Um, then then there's even less reason to do it. Um, so they always ask for it. They always like it. But if you push back, usually there is some compromise. And in this case, um, and, and there's all, all, also alternatives. Maybe you don't want to guarantee it at all, so you're going to prepay a year's worth of rent. A lot of landlords that makes them feel comfortable. And you know, you got the money in the bank anyway. You were going, you know, you've got that set aside, so you may as well just fork it over to the landlord's uh, balance instead of your, you know, account balance. So, but there's many, many things you can do to negotiate that down. And you can imagine the freedom you would have had if your lease, exp your guarantee expired after two years. Um, and also, let's not uh, forget the contingent liability of all this. Sometimes, uh, in fact, all the time, we will bring that up to the landlords like, look, just the contingent liability here, when we go to open up our third or fourth unit or want to lease some equipment or do this and that, the lender or the finance uh, the finance company may look at that and go, well, look at that. You're responsible for all these lease payments. Uh, that's contingent liability there. So you your ability to borrow more money or do more deals is decreased. So even just from that standpoint, you need to get off the personal guarantee. And by the way, the wealthiest people that I know are the ones least likely to sign personal guarantees. They just won't do it. Uh, it's a big deal, and it's because of the leverage. And a lot of people think, well, I just have to. You know, I'm going into business. I'm signing a lease. i got to guarantee it personally. Yeah. No, you don't. And that's a very important point. And also now you could check with the attorney because I'm, I'm not an attorney and don't want to give legal advice. But in your state, check out and see if you're a joint custody or not joint custody, but a joint asset state. Um, if a spouse does not sign the lease personally, then that personal guarantee does not mean as much. And the landlord will know that. And many, many times the landlord will say, oh, I need a personal guarantee and I need you and your spouse to do it. And that becomes a deal killer because guess what? My wife ain't signing it. You know, she's just not going to do it. So if you want me to do this deal, you know, you have to let just me sign it. And it depends how much they want you. Uh, I very rarely would see a deal fall apart because the landlord insisted that the husband and the wife sign it and they won't do it. That there are usually some compromise worked out. I think what happens often is we either put ourselves in a position where we have to move sooner than later, or we've been looking forever and now we're desperate. And, and now this going back and forth and negotiating these things takes time. And yeah. I think it's in part, in fact, 
a tactic on the other from the other side, right? So in this particular case, let's talk about this because this is very typical. This shopping center, pretty large shopping center, has a management company. And so we were dealing with the management company who would then send whatever we were negotiating to the attorneys for the company who owned the property and back and forth, right? So right. there was that, and that's typical, right? Then a lot of these well, larger shopping centers. It is very typical, and it's always a shocker to a small business owner who, who can't hardly even believe it's taking so long. Right. And uh, But you need to know that. And what really happens is that you know you'll you'll negotiate a lease and the leasing agent and locally there has their own set of um, guidelines that they need to follow, then uh, that gets booted up to the um, you know, uh, the ivory tower someplace and there'll be a leasing committee that meets every week or two to review all the leases uh, all across the country. And they may accept it or kick it back or want to change or this and that. So if it if it it's not exactly right or they have a question about something or they want to renegotiate something, then they kick it back. And now it's two weeks uh, again before they can look at it. And then, of course, if you do come to a complete agreement finally on the letter of intent, now it goes to legal and legal can easily take two or three weeks and sometimes much more than that just because they're busy. And that lease may sit on their desk for two or three weeks before they even get to look at it. So, yeah, things take months and months with the big companies, and there's not that much they can do about it or care to do about it, especially if you're 1,500 feet and they own millions of square feet of space all around the country. Um they barely care whether they do that deal or not. That's right. That's Which right. hard I'm, for I'm you to believe. Name, I'm not a big box. I'm not somebody right. they're according. And so, and I, I got to think, Craig, that to an extent uh, often, or uh, maybe it's just a byproduct, they're using it as a negotiation tactic as well. They're trying to wear me out. Well, sometimes. Uh, I, I, I think I, I wouldn't personally think they're quite that nefarious about it, but, you know, maybe they're even waiting for a better deal or they're, yeah, that's, you know, that's balancing. For certain because, because I've seen that happen yeah. uh, with other clients where they're like, well, they just won't respond to me. And I have to believe that's part of it where they're waiting for something better to maybe come along. Well, so, yeah, yeah. Or, or they're juggling a couple balls and they're waiting sure. for this other deal to happen or they send people out, you know, so yeah, that'll happen. And sometimes, yeah. and it, you know, we do that from the tenant standpoint too, sure. you know, sometimes we're not sure if we want this deal or the other deal or who knows what's going on. And then you do blame it on the attorney. Well, the attorney has it, you know, we're waiting for them or, you know, the attorney's out of town, which happens to, or out of the country. And, you know, so you have your own reasons to drag your feet sometimes. And so you never know exactly what's going on. Um, but the, the key takeaway here, though, for me, back to this particular yeah. deal that we did is that, well, first of all, we, we didn't get the right guidance from our broker. And I think in part where, again, where this happens, it's not that that was, he was necessarily a bad broker or right. this, this right. service. They're, they're balancing time for effort as well, just like we were right. wanting once we decided that was a spot we wanted it. And so the reason I bring this whole topic up, up is we need to be patient. We need to take a step back. We need to get help sometimes like the services that you offer to help us ask those other questions and then have the patient to negotiate these items. That's, that's what I'm trying to make. That's what I look back on and say, I didn't do right. We, we just assume certain things we did negotiate. Don't get me wrong. Right. But we didn't negotiate enough. 
No, maybe, maybe not. And if you sometimes you don't even know the right question to ask, and and you Correct. don't know what you don't yeah. know. And That's and right. in in the broker's fairness, all fairness, maybe your broker felt that you had some sort of marketing plan in motion, and you were going to become a magnet, and people were going to come from far and wide for your yogurt, and so they put you in the middle of a demographic area that would be just fine for you. And now it's up to you to drive people to your store, and so. They can't certainly can't take all the blame. Um, no. I don't know about your business model and marketing, and I wasn't there. So um, your demographics were no doubt fine, uh, but then you know visibility and stuff uh, was not to your advantage. Right. So, so to that point, we can in, in business we can do all of the right things up front, and then it still doesn't work. Right. To an extent. When we go and build a brick and mortar location like this is where I'm leasing a spot. Right. It's it's to an extent it's I'm building it and hopefully they will come, right? Despite all of my best research, all right. of my best analysis. So back to the point we're discussing here, what are some of those other things that I perhaps could have negotiated into this lease? Right. To soften the blow of now getting out. Well, yeah. The, one of the things that I try to do with all my clients is build in flexibility because it is a it is a crazy world out there. The economy can crash at any time, or there That's could right. be a major industry disruption, or you could have a anchor tenant fold. You know, all these things. If you're reading the paper, you're seeing it happen all the time. You know, so you're crazy not to build in some flexibility. One way we do that would be with what we call a kickout clause or a lease termination clause. And you should have put something in there that basically says, you know, after a certain uh, amount of time, uh, if our sales don't reach a certain level or, uh, you know, then then we can give the landlord uh, X number of months of notice and pay X number of months of you know, lease penalty or this or that, you know, you can negotiate a, a lease termination based on a bunch of strings, uh, you know, strings attached. And so that would have been a good way. Um, probably. And in a space like this, where like we, now that we've given the background, it was a small space. It's not, wasn't a high priority. What do you think the likelihood is that they would have uh, accepted that. Type well, of you know, they, they do hate that. And sometimes they won't do it. Uh, and sometimes they will, it just depends on them. The fact that this is a second location and maybe the second out of 10 and you're a good operator and who knows how, if they felt that was a dead spot and they really wanted you in there. So you never know till you ask and you never know how many strings to attach to it, uh, that they'll find acceptable. So in this case, the chance of getting that clause might have been 50-50 at best. Who knows? And then there's also a clause that would say, uh, you know, if an anchor tenant, we're here because of the anchor tenant. So if an anchor tenant should fail, then we have the right to cancel our lease also. We don't. We may not cancel the lease, but we have the right to, you know, because we don't know what kind of devastation we'll have. And um, so you, you never know, but that is... That is one thing. But now, of course, if you're not signing the lease personally and it's a single purpose entity, then you've got a kick out clause. You know, it's called right. it's called calling up the landlord and saying things didn't work out. Sorry. You know, so that you might not need it at all if you've handled the personal guarantee correctly. 
Yeah. And I think one of the key takeaways here as it applies to anything in business, Craig, is you don't know unless you ask, right? And so a 50-50 chance is better than zero if I don't ask. Right. And I see it all the time. You know, my biggest challenge, frankly, is that most business owners do this their very own. You know, you actually hired a tenant rep. So that was a uh, something to your advantage. But usually when you call up the sign in the window, it's a very nice person you're talking to and you just do the deal with them. And they're great, honest, wonderful people too, you know, the landlord rep, but their job is to just lease that space. So they're not going to offer all these things to you. They would uh, get in trouble with their boss if they did. So, uh, so most business owners don't even know what they did wrong. They never, they never heard of this stuff uh, that you and I are talking about probably. Yeah, it's it's a huge right. thing. When I when I chat with clients, uh, they have no idea because they just don't understand the whole representation component of this. But right. again, as Craig articulated very clearly, this is the thing: if you're looking to negotiate for commercial space, you need to get your own representation, someone who represents you exclusively, and ask them that yeah. very specific question. Right? And it's crazy because uh, it doesn't cost you anything, so you're no, getting exactly. all this free that's advice right. that's going to save you bucket loads of money and it didn't cost you anything to do it. Like who would not want to do that? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. So uh, yeah, since we're on that topic, yeah. let's go ahead. Craig. Well, I wanted to something? admit, I didn't want to get off. You were talking about timing and thing. And I, I wanted to make sure we covered yeah. this. And that's another thing you said in your podcast was, well, you know, we're six or seven months from the end of our lease. Now, what do we do right. uh, partner? And it's and I'm right. pulling my hair out going six or seven months. You should have been talking to the landlord a year out because um, or, or further since you th thought you weren't doing good because a lease renewal, the, even though you negotiated one, is still a negotiable event. You can either take the lease renewal that you negotiated or you can call up the landlord and say, hey, you know, that renewal we have, that's just not going to work for us because we got this and that going on, et cetera, et cetera. But here's what we will do. So you could have gone back to them and and just alerted them again, a very friendly basis. Hey, you know, no nothing personal here, but our business is not going well. We're probably going to have to leave unless you want to do something. And that might be lower rent, uh, some co-marketing or signage, or maybe relocate in the center from part point A to point B or something, but leaving yourself six to seven months, you know, it should have been earlier. And I've seen much worse, you know, two or three months, then there's no leverage at all. You know, it's either a, a, a go or no go decision. And sometimes, of course, when tenants want to stay, but they would like better terms. Well, now the, they got no leverage at all. The, the landlord knows you don't have time to move. So pretty much just stay and uh and accept these terms and so the point would be you want to be talking to the landlord early enough so they know that you have time to move someplace else then you have leverage so here's one of the ways i've struggled with this is that i've always thought that if i divulge to my landlord that i'm not doing well right that then that's going to be to my detriment because they might not want me to stay now that I, it turns out I'm a weak operator and they've got somebody else who wants that space. Yeah, but they don't have a choice. And so I, I struggle with that. And, but, but, and so what do you say to that? Is that you're wrong? You know, I think you're wrong there. And I, and that's probably harsh words to use, 
but you have a lease. They can't boot you out, and you have an option to renew. Yeah, no, no, so not, not that they would boot out. me out during the lease, but right. am I undermining myself? And I see I see the point now. I'm just right. wanting just to share loud, with you right. my, my thinking on it. Yeah, that was my thinking back then anyway, that then when it did come time at the end, they would be, well, why do we want to negotiate with you, you guys? Your business right. is dying, so you're going to fail on the next lease anyway, right? So that was my thought. Right. I get to where if, if instead I bring this up to them at the end, then there's less credibility there. It's, it's much more, they might think I'm using it as a leverage point. Oh, we're, you know, woe is right. us and we, we can't do it. So we need some concessions. Your point is in part that by having told them ahead of time much earlier, I'm setting that tone. But again, can it come back to bite me in the rear end if, in fact, they want me out and they're not interested in negotiating with a business that's failing? The thing is, if you tell them that you're doing bad, but you're really not, then it might bite you in the butt. But if you tell them you're doing bad and you are doing bad, you know, I've never seen, you know, uh, communication be a bad thing. You know, we'll, we'll work on this together. Either you are doing bad and they'll help you with your situation or find a replacement, which you'll be glad of. Um, you know, I no, I don't, I don't see the downside myself of informing them of what's going on. And uh, in yeah, fact, yeah. it reminds me of sometimes where there'll be a tenant that's doing bad, but it's embarrassing. They keep it to themselves. They always make sure they pay their rent no matter what. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when they've completely run out of money, then they go to the landlord and say. Hey, uh, you know, we've been doing really bad. I don't have any more money. Can you work with me on the rent? And it's like, oh my God, you wait till you ran out of money to talk to the landlord. That's, that's no good. You know, and the landlord is going to, now they're going to think you're pulling their leg. You know, is, you've always come up with a rent. You figured out you'll come up with the rent again, borrow it from friends or family or whatever. We don't care. You know, it would have been better to tell them way early in advance that you're not doing well and maybe send them some partial payments, send them some payments late, you know, make them aware that this is true. This is real. And you might need some relief. Otherwise they're not going to give it because again, um, and that maybe depends on your landlord, but especially in the big centers where these landlords have hundreds and hundreds of tenants, maybe even thousands, you know, they've seen all this before and you need to get their attention and, and get, into the uh, communication channels and uh, you know, just about anything you can think of has they've had, they have tenant failures every week if they have enough properties and they know what they do about it, who they chase down, who they not, what are potential um, remedies and ways to, um, to work with the tenant, you know, compromise this or that in, in some way. And so I I just think communication is good. And, and, And I actually, when the economy was bad, I was helping, uh, clients uh, break their leases. And like 98% of what I had to say was communicate with your landlord, let them know what's going on. And, and here's some possible uh, remedies and solutions, how you can work together, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I just see communication as a good thing. And, and you try to, it's a partnership between landlord and tenant. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't disagree with you. Those are great insights. Okay. Anything else that that stood out to you that you had a note about wanting to chat about? I think we've covered all the key. Things. Well, we did. I, I made some notes, and we've uh, in in the, all the roundabouts that we've done, we've pretty much um, pretty much done it all. Uh, 
the location and then just better terms, uh, which to protect right. you. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think we beat that horse pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> you made me, you made me have to relive that pain. Yeah. I'm sorry about that, but now you've really learned from it. You're not going to make these mistakes again. And I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. All right. So here's where I do want to wrap it up. I want to touch back on what we, we have talked briefly about, which is the team, the team that I ideally need to help me avoid doing this again. Um, so, so like we've articulated, when I'm looking for commercial real estate space, and we're again, we're talking about anything from the typical space in a strip shopping center to maybe a larger building, even a standalone building where I'm leasing that building. When I'm calling the person on the sign, the leasing agent, the leasing office, who I'm speaking to there, they are honest and fair people. They have to treat me so. They've got licenses, they're regulated, right. all that good yeah. stuff, but they do not represent me. Right. They represent the landlord. Right. Their duties are to the landlord. Right. So I must have at a minimum a, a buyer's agent, a broker for me, a leasing agent that I sign an agreement with that represents me exclusively. Yeah, right? that, that would be the smart thing to do. And and by the way, if you call the landlord yourself because you're in a rush or you're just doing some um, uh, general research, that's fine. Right. Which I often yeah, will do. Exactly. That's how I usually start. And that's, that's fine. Yeah, yes. and that is fine. But it's best of all if you call them and during that discussion say, oh, and, you know, just so you know, I do have a tenant rep that will be representing me. That only makes you look Perfect. better, by the way. And then it also it does, yeah. it keeps the door open for when the tenant rep does call them. They're not the, the landlord rep isn't uh, unhappy. Uh, what what I face sometimes is the tenant has called all these landlords and talked to them and done some negotiating, and then they go, oh, man, this is all over my head. And then they hear about this thing called a tenant rep or their attorney tells them or whatever. Then they call me. Now i got to call the landlord and go, hey, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, they're talking to you about this space. Well, you know, they retain me to help them with this. Well, the landlord right at first is not very happy that I'm there because, A, I'm going to make the deal worse for them, and, B, I'm going to charge them money to do it. So that doesn't go over very well, but they do want the tenant still. So usually they get over it pretty quickly, and then we work from there. But, you know, it would be nice if I didn't have to go through that, you know, if you let the landlord know in advance that somebody's going to be contacting them on your behalf when you've decided on the space uh, you want, or you've shortlisted a few spaces that you want. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, someone like yourself and Lee Smart, when do you get engaged? When is it ideal to engage you and how does that work? Well, you want to engage us as soon as you're thinking of opening a space. Uh, and because we can, here's what I do to find space that most uh, business owners can't. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I have premium membership to various online databases, so I can find more that includes more than you can. And then I also have a network of people, uh, landlord brokers, that I can send information to and say, hey, here's what I'm looking for. What do you have? And that will turn up many spaces that are off market because, you know, they may call me and say, hey, you know, um, we got this space over in the so-and-so center and we got a tenant that's not doing too well. And maybe, you know, you could take that space. Well, good. You know, it's good to know about that. There's not going to be a sign in the window on that space. So we do that. And then we work with the, you know, like I do deals in spaces I've never seen for tenants I've never met, you know. 
um, uh, across the country doing what I just mentioned. And then they'll drive the streets and, and look on signs for lease and this and that. And they'll either snap me a picture of it and text it to me and I call on it. Or they can call on it and tell them, hey, Craig Melby's going to be calling you when we decide what we want to do, whatever. So we just work together at that very early stage. And then I'm involved in the negotiation. And uh, that's the best way. Now, half the people out there, they just do it themselves because they don't know any better. Then they call me and I have to renegotiate their letter of intent for them. Or they do all that, and then they, when they get the lease, they call me, and they want me to negotiate the lease for them. <laughs> all that I can do, but many times the landlord, you know, they're not going to want to be sharing a leasing fee with me. So now i got to charge you. And, uh, but, of course, yeah. I still save you boatloads of money. But, um, so there's a few different ways. But the best way is, is let the tenant rep get involved from the earliest uh, possible moment. And then uh, in the process, and at least the way I've done it, as I always have, my own attorney at some point, at a minimum, review yes. the lease agreement before I. Oh yeah, yeah, it, and uh, and I didn't mean to negate that. Um, I. Oh no, no, I was just adding yes, adding as, that as last well. Step you should, you know, I do the business points of the lease, and I negotiate the business points of a lease when I get it, and then it goes to legal to run a, to do all the the legal review. And by the way, the uh, attorneys that I know are happy that I've already done the business points. It, it's easier yeah. and quicker for them. They they don't know how the market is changing all the time, and they're a little uncomfortable trying to tell their client what a fair business deal is because they don't really know. It changed from six months ago or three months ago. So they just, they just want to do their job, the legal review. What do all this boilerplate mean and all these other terms and this and that? And so- uh, you have the the tenant rep negotiate the business points first, and then it goes to the uh, attorney. Yeah. And again, as you mentioned earlier, neither Craig nor I are attorneys. Right. I always recommend anything that you are going to sign, you must have legal review first, your own attorney. Right. And by, by the way, the attorney you want to use will be a real estate attorney, a commercial real estate attorney. That's right. You want someone specialized in that that knows what they're doing. Uh, otherwise... Uh, it, it may not be that good review or it might cost you a fortune as they, you know, I've seen cases where uh, a really experienced uh, real estate attorney might go, yeah, no, this is pretty normal. This is fine. Except for this one paragraph, you know, we can clean that up a little bit, make it a little more clear. But, you know, you want the space. It's pretty fair lease. I'd, I'd suggest you sign it. And then other attorneys will re reword the entire lease from top to bottom uh and, okay, here's your bill for $8,000. Yeah. It's like, whoa, you know, so you need to be careful who you choose too. That's right. Ask questions. So you, you're interviewing, you need to select it. If you don't already have an attorney, right. ideally you get a referral for a commercial attorney, a commercial real estate attorney. Right. That's the best way to go about it. But interview that person. Don't, don't just take it at face value. It's perfectly, in fact, it's required. Ask them for an estimate, ask them what their hourly rate is. You must do that type of work and not just assume that, well, it is what it is. Right. You know, every attorney is different. You need to select the right one for you. Right. Okay. Uh, the Least Smart Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I think you're like on episode 63 of that. Fantastic. Who, who is it for ideally, Craig? Who's the podcast for? Well, uh, it is for any business owner that is going to uh, rent space, commercial space, office, retail, warehouse. You know, I see 
all the time, every day, people don't know what they don't know. And so my podcast, I strive to make it almost no commercial at all. It's good data, good information. Do this, don't do that. Here's a recent story. Here's what they did wrong. Here's what we did right. And here's what blah, blah, blah. So it's all great information. And if you were to listen to all of them, because uh, it's all timeless information uh, most of the time, um, you would be really, really smart, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. in lease yeah, negotiation. Now, now it's, a whole, it's a whole catalog of, of information. And again, we were chatting about this before we started recording, unlike my show where I get into the entrepreneurial background, right. you get right into it. So oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's content right, right off the bat. That's one of right. the things I enjoy about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm always interested in uh, what books people are reading or tools. On uh, last time you were on, you uh, instead of a book, you recommended Tim Ferriss's podcast. So I'm curious: Are you reading anything that's interesting, or any new favorite podcast that you would share with us? Well, you know, I um, I don't have time to read books too much, and when I do read books, it's not about business all the time. So there are a lot of great business books out there. Uh, I'm aware of that, and I've read some of them. But honestly, most of my uh, uh, information comes from podcasts. Because uh, I listen to them when I'm walking the dog in the airport on an airplane, blah blah blah. So, you know, there's just so many of them. And as I mentioned, Tim Ferriss is great. Tony Robbins has a good one. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, the unmistakable creative is good. Um, there's all kinds about well, just all kind of business podcasts that uh, are very very useful and. Um, you know, just, I find myself now if I if I myself at the gym or somewhere and I don't have a podcast to listen to, it's like I it's like uh, I used to listen to just music and sometimes I still do, but I don't know. To me, it's so much. I've gotten a workout plus I've learned something. There's something to that that now I'm just yeah. And you know, there's something to be said for downtime too. You don't want to always be feeding your mind stuff, uh, but there are times when that's a good, very good use of time. And I find myself, um, cause or I listen to a wide variety of stuff. Boy, am I ever interesting in conversations? You know, I've always got something new to say. Yeah, I learned this. I heard that and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it works for me. <laughs> good point. All right. What, uh, if there was one thing you want us to take away from this conversation, what would it be? Uh, the one thing would just realize that uh there are you just don't know what you don't know and um that that's the biggest thing and then timing you know give yourself more time to do any of these things uh those two things and there are books out there or listen to my podcast or whatever but just realize when the landlord says here's the lease this is our standard lease everybody signs it well maybe that's that is your average Joe, but we never sign the leases. We always add clauses that aren't in there. We always change clauses that are in there. Um, there's lots and lots of negotiation to be done. And it's very important that you protect yourself, build in some flexibility because um, you could be doing everything perfect and then the economy crashes. And depending on your lease uh, depends on how affected you'll be by that major economic downturn. Great advice. Where would you like us to go online to find out more about you and about Lease Smart? Well, uh, the easiest thing to remember just would be leasesmart.com. It's all one word, L-E-A-S-E-S-M-A-R-T.com. I've got videos you can link to. Uh, 
PDFs, uh, good downloads, a uh, link to my um, podcast, uh, which obviously your listeners are podcast listeners. So that would be a no brainer. And uh, mine come out every two weeks. And um, I don't know. I, I think they're pretty good. I think you'll enjoy them. <laughs> People tell me that all the time. <laughs> I think you will as well. I listen to them. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Craig, thanks so much for coming back on, sharing again uh, this deep knowledge, going with me on this journey of dissecting what we could have done differently in our lease and uh, for sharing your knowledge again today. Well, I'm happy to do it. I love being helpful, and uh, and I put food on my table doing it too. That's right. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest was Craig Melby. Thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website at thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.